Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. We'll take your calls later on about uh, what you want to talk about. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, the jobs report. Uh, got to talk about that. Uh, it comes out once a, once a month on Friday, so we like to talk about that when it comes out. Personal consumption expenditures. Also going to talk about the National Retail Federation, about the retail sales for Christmas. And I do want to discuss what the SEC does with all their fines. Chase? <laughs> do we know what they do with it? Well, <laughs> well, we'll what they're supposed to do with it, I guess we'll put it that way. <laughs> well, but as you said, we're always here to take your calls, answer any questions you may have. You know, you want to call in about a particular company. We'll go through those valuation ratios, take a close look at that balance sheet, those fundamentals that uh, we like to break down here at Wilsey Asset Management. You want to join the show, phone number 833-288-0973. Again, 833-288-0973. And I'm impressed. I think you read that number upside down, didn't you? Yeah, I got lots of practice. <laughs> I, it's funny. We had a, a client come into the office the other, I think it was this past week, and he was trying to read something upside down, and we were kind of looking at the same document at the same time. And I'm like, oh, I'll just flip it for you, because I, I can read pretty upside well down. upside down now, because when people come in and we do our presentation, it's all upside down, so I, I become pretty proficient. Yeah, and it is a practice thing you kind of do, so you, you can do it. But I just looked over and glanced at you like, oh, the numbers are here, but you're reading <laughs> upside down. So anyways, let's talk about that jobs report because, uh, again, this is the last one that we'll see for 2022. And we saw some job gains, a uh, nice increase, about 263,000 November, which easily topped the estimate of 200,000. Now, leisure and hospitality remain a major leader with job gains totaling 88,000 in the month as the sector continues to battle back from COVID. The sector still remains 5.8% or 980,000 jobs below February, 2020. And I was shocked that number because you hear about how much money we've gained back on, on the retail and the, uh, I, I'm sorry, the uh, hospitality side. Wow, still down 980,000 jobs since uh, February 2020. And then retail, trade, and transportation and warehousing were the standout losers in the report as both sectors saw a decline in payrolls. Retail trail, trade fell by about 30,000 jobs as general merchandise stores saw unemployment, or I'm sorry, employment decline by 32,000 jobs. And electronics and appliance stores, well, saw employment decline by 4,000 jobs in the month. And then transportation warehousing, as I said, also had a decline. That was 15,000 jobs in the month. I was somewhat surprised to see these two sectors decline considering it's the holiday season. But then I kind of took a closer look and, and was thinking about it. And I was wondering if the excess inventory levels could be weighing on employment levels as retailers could really be trying to focus on expenses. You know, if you have all that inventory, that hurts your margins. They could be saying, oh, we got to focus on our labor costs. And also, too, if you have all that excess inventory, you're trying to build down or you know reduce that inventory in warehousing, so you might be needing less space in those warehouses. If you already have all the inventory, you don't need to transport as much inventory. <laughs> so that could be weighing on the sector as well as is kind of how I thought through those two two different items. 
The item that I believe weighed on most on the markets was the increase of 5.1% in average hourly earnings. It surpassed the estimate of 4.6%, and it could give the Fed more ammo to continue on its rate hiking path as it tries to bring down inflation. I do believe, however, that this should not be a major concern for the Fed because like inflation overall, I think wage gains will begin to slow to a more normalized level next year as the job market decelerates. And, and, and this report, because I, I believe it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, we had an inflation report came out. And I think that day the Dow's up 700 points. And I mm-hmm. knew, oh, okay, the Fed's not going to increase uh, more than expected and so forth. And that's what it is. It's not that they're not going to increase that they're not going to increase more than expected. That's what, that is what concerns the market. So when we saw this here, then all some people started thinking, or traders, and this is yeah. what moves the market, the traders, not the investors, like, oh, wait, this could change again now. <laughs> now, now because of, of, uh, of the wages being up 5.1%, oh, now they could go above uh, 0.75 and do 1%. So this is what drives the variations or the volatility in the market, which is why you have to be an investor and not worry so much about these things because, and this is why we give this, this is why we do the newsletter so you can stay on track with investing and not be whipsawed every single day by the different craziness comes out from the market. Yeah, and I, I think the, the thing I want to look at is I, I'm hoping the Fed is somewhat interpret interpreting the data somewhat the same way we are, where you're going to see some of this inflation slow. And I'm hoping that they won't go crazy and still hike, you know, at 0.75%. I don't think that's going to be the case, but you never know. But the the thing that I'm looking at here is we, we kind of talked about how you see all the headlines and, you know, tech is having layoffs and so forth, but we just talked about the service sector. Well, there still are tons of open jobs that we talked about last week on the show that need to be filled as well. So I don't think you're going to see, you know, I think last year the average job gain was like 500000 a month or something. Right. It was something yeah, it was crazy. crazy. Yeah. We're not going to see that, especially in 2023. I think you could perhaps even see sub 200000 a month. Right. doesn't mean that it's a bad job market. It's just not as good as it was. It's, again, decelerating, not declining. Very important to look at those two distinctions. However, I think if you see that slowdown in job gains, it's not going to be as competitive. So that's where I think that average hourly earnings could come down, especially if you look at the service sector versus tech. Tech generally, gosh, you look at Facebook and Google, a lot of times I feel like they kind of overpaid people several years ago, and now that's right. kind of why they're starting to pull back. It's like, oh, yeah, here's $200,000. Oh, here's hundred. And now they're kind of looking at that like, ooh, that was kind of maybe too much. That perhaps could be why they're having a layoff. So you could have people that were going from a job making 200000 to, let's say, 150000 in the service sector. Right. So that could slow the wage gains next year, which I think, again, could be very beneficial to the overall inflation picture. Yeah, and these are things you have to kind of look at and take the data, analyze it, and say what's really going to happen. And, and again, you're going to have on you know, the days where, oh, now the Fed's going to raise rates more than expected, market will go down. But you got to look at what's going to happen two, three, four, six months, 12 months down the road. So, so that's why we, we do this. And that kind of brings me to the next one, which is the personal consumption expenditures. The PCE, as it's known, which is known as a personal consumption expenditures, came out at 6% for October over the last 12 months. As we had predicted months ago, these inflation indexes would show signs of easing. This is why there has been some recovery in equities. And the PCE is what the Federal Reserve looks at in regard to interest rates, so there probably will not be any surprises going forward. We continue to believe that inflation will slow down, and if you've been out of the market, in particular the right equities since summer, you've missed out. 
there are still opportunities to get back in for quality long-term investors, but sitting on the sidelines for the next six to 12 months, based on the current data, we believe will be a mistake. And again, I don't think you're going to see the market go up 40% or anything, but right. you sitting in cash, you could be missing out on a good quality equity that could produce a nice 8 10% return here over the next six, 12 months. And, and, and we like the volatility. I mean, yesterday we had a company that uh, we watched them very closely that has not been a buy and I'm going to say weeks, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure when the last time we bought it. Maybe a month or so. Maybe a month or so. And yesterday it came down. Like, we like this volatility because we were able to, new money coming in, okay, now we can buy XYZ company. And by the way, that's not a true symbol, so don't call it <laughs> XYZ company. Um, so we stepped in, we bought, I don't know, uh, I think we hit, what, 30 different accounts or something? It was more yeah, than like 30 different accounts. Yeah, yeah, 30 different accounts. So, so I don't know, million dollars, whatever it was that we spent uh, for people. Because again, we're being patient. We like the volatility because we're looking longer term on what is going on with the businesses. And we love the short term volatility because we can step back in and buy more when the time is right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it, and I, I think what's going to happen here too is generally we have that Santa Claus rally. Are we going to get one? I, I'm still not sure. I mean, we've kind of had a nice recovery here over the last few weeks. Is that going to continue? That's for the traders to decide, I guess. It's mm -hmm. not really going to impact our investing decisions at the end of the day. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it's something that you can't ever try and time and play that game. It's, oh, what's going to happen over the next three weeks? I, I don't know. Right. I, you, you can try and guess, try and plan. You can look at history. But sometimes, you know, uh, you know let's say 70% of the time there's Santa Claus rally. Well, that still means there's 30% of the time that there's not. You got to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, yeah. you, you can't try and play these games and play these rules of thumb because that's how you get burned. Because all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, now it didn't happen this time. Well, I, and I think we could have it for for one one thing I was concerned about was the rail strike. It looks like that's been averted, yeah. so we're okay with that. Uh, we talk about this PCE. Uh, what's coming up next? I think it comes out this coming week is the CPI. Mm -hmm. uh, and even though the Fed looks at the PCE, I think a lot of people look at the CPI. So that comes out this week. And if that's like the PCE, I, I think we'll be okay. And I think we'll have more of a rally. And and, talk and about I, the, just real quick, is sure. I, I believe the Fed meets, it's either the 12th or the 14th or in that window somewhere. So that- And they meet after the CPI comes they, out. They meet after the right. CPI. So that that's really, I think, what's going to- potentially change and, yeah. and dictate that Santa Claus rally is that meeting. <laughs> right. and, and and that's true because last time when the CPI came out, I think, and then the Fed met, I, I think there was a big rally at that point yeah. in time. And that could be the Christmas rally uh, if we get a decent CPI report. And based on the PCE, I think we could get a, a decent CPI. Yeah. So yeah. And that, I mean, the thing to look at too is the PCE is still at 6%. It's still three times what oh. the Fed wants at 2%. But again, it, it should start to decelerate naturally not because we need to hike rates another 4%, let's hear anything well, and, crazy. And the thing is, we're, yeah, we're well above what the inflation is supposed to be, but far better. Because if you remember a few months ago, people said, oh, you don't get it. Inflation is like the 70s is going to 12 14%. We said, no, just don't see that because of the commodities and so yeah. forth. And so that's what we're seeing now, things from six months ago, and still not seeing any reason for inflation to be at 10 12%, but we do have more to go to get back to that too. But I, I, as we said before, we predict back in the summer and we'll see if we're right. We said by December, it'll be around six to 7%. We'll see what the CPI is. Yeah, and I, I will say one thing that still concerns me is is that's not talked about that much is the price of diesel. And we met with uh, business owners here that have a, a seafood restaurant and they're kind of joking and saying like, when you're talking about inflation, I want to jump through the radio and grab you because they're getting <laughs> crushed in their business with the cost of seafood. And I, I never thought about this. 
but it's not just seafood, obviously. There's lots of different industries that, that really hinge off the price of diesel. I mean, talk about transportation, and, and, and in particular, the reason seafood so right. is dependent on it is because all the, the fishermen that have to go off and use diesel in their boats. Yeah, yeah. That price of diesel is not talked about that much, but it is still extremely elevated. And and again, if that can somehow get reduced by somehow, I, I think I have some ideas of how we could reduce that regulations, that would be a huge benefit to the economy because that would really bring down inflation as transportation impacts so many parts of the economy. Well, and here's one thing I think is, is going to happen. I'll give you the good and the bad is that um, because we've seen now gas drop dramatically, you're a refiner. That's the problem is yeah. with diesel being refined. So it's like, okay, now wait a minute. Diesel's much higher. So let me kind of turn down the gas refinery and turn on the diesel refiner, yeah. which means more diesel, which means diesel will come down. And gas will go up. <laughs> <laughs> gas will come back up again. <laughs> and the problem is because like people like, and I'm sorry, uh, I gotta say this, our crazy governor, um, refiners want to refine this oil. And again, I'll say our crazy president who's getting oil from Venezuela. It's a heavy crude. Refiners love to do that because that's great for refining. But they're not sure if Governor Newsom will let the refiners in California refine the crude from Venezuela. And the answer to that is probably no because he says you can't refine anything that's not produced here in in California. So that could be a problem. I I thought they didn't want to produce anything in California. So well, that, where that, are we going to get it? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. And so, so our, you know, we got this oil coming from Venezuela. It's a heavy crude. And they're saying that in California, well, you can't refine it here. So we're getting the crude, but you can't refine it. it it's, it's just the politics gets in the way. We need politicians that understand how the economy works. And, yes, I know you want to be green, but you're not going to get green until we can get you know, energy produced here. So we, we got way off track, yeah. but it's just so important on, on how the fundamentals work uh, and, and why we still I, I, we still have energy in the portfolio. Yeah. And, so. it, yeah, and ultimately what it comes down to is that that I think is going to be the driving factor of inflation next year. And again, I don't see diesel going from, I think it's around $5 a gallon up to $10 a gallon. It's not going to no, double like no. it did before, but if that could come down, that would be a huge, huge tailwind. Right. for overall inflation. And, and, and I know we do have a shortage of refiners. That's the other thing, too. They won't let them build any more refiners, but I don't know the number of how many are in California versus the rest of the U.S. Because the rest of the U.S. can refine the Venezuela oil, but it does not look like California will be able to. And I think we have a few here in California. I think, a, and this is just because the refiner we have in the portfolio, a majority of their refiners are in the Gulf Coast. I, I think yeah. that's where a lot of refiners are at yeah. is the Gulf Coast. So Yeah, little, little problems that we have there. Let's go back to the uh, to the Christmas holiday here. And uh, you probably heard that this is not going to be a good Christmas for retail. But as we say many times in our post and other commentary, it's important to understand what is being said and how it is being said. The estimate by the National Retail Federation and RF for holiday sales expect to be to be between nine hundred and forty two billion to nine hundred and sixty billion, an increase of six point eight percent over the eight hundred and eighty nine billion in two thousand twenty one. This was a 13.5% increase over 2020. And then if we look back to 2019 when the economy was, you know, pretty strong, I would say. A lot of people, yeah. oh, the economy's great in 2019. Well, back then, 
if, if we look at that, let's see here, comparing to the, the low, oh, there we go. If the economy back in 2019, uh, everyone felt good. The NRF said holiday sales were $716 billion. That's the number I was looking for. I got it lost on my, my notes here. Comparing the low end for 2022 of $942 billion, well, that's a 31.6% increase from, from 2019. It does appear holiday shopping has gotten off to a good start as well, considering the record of 1967 million shoppers from Thanksgiving Day through Cyber Monday. This topped last year's level of 176 million shoppers and easily surpassed the NRF's estimate for 166.3 million shoppers. I don't know about you, but I think those are pretty good numbers, all things being equal. Yeah, and that's why people are saying, oh, it's not going to be a good holiday season. What are you looking at? And and again, when you compare numbers to, again, 2019, they are, I mean, up 30%, that's huge. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking as you were as you were talking there, is going to be next year when we reach one trillion dollars sales? Ooh. And yeah, I mean that, that's a, that's a big number. So we're we're on the right path there, um, you know. And I even heard people are buying pelotons. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> well, and I will say, I mean, this obviously doesn't account for inflation. So that's going to be your your negative news. Right. Oh, it doesn't account for. The sales are still, companies are still selling more, mm-hmm. selling, and it even if it's not more volume, still overall the dollars are increasing, which if we had a terrible economy, that would not be the case. And and I think that, you know, we're still, I don't want to pretend and sugarcoat and say everything is great, right, it's not, but, but uh, things are things are okay. It, 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 all this doom and gloom, I think, is just complete nonsense. I, I think, again, when people talk to us, we think we're, we could have a recession next year in 2023. It's just not going to be that bad. Right. So be careful saying, oh, don't be blind to say things are amazing. <laughs> and, and but the, I don't think it's going to be super negative. Yeah, and, and the big thing, too, is that, and I've said this before, when you have a job, and I don't think anybody feels like they're going to lose their job. There might be some, maybe yeah. a tech company or something. But overall, most people are very comfortable with their job. And if they're not comfortable, they still know that, well, I see a lot of help wanted signs out there. We talked last week about the Jolts Report, 10.3 million jobs outstanding, 6 million people, you know, unemployed. So you feel pretty comfortable that you have a job. So you don't like the inflation. It is a holiday season. Like, eh, you know what? So I'll put a little, little bit extra on the credit card. I'll, 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 I'll make this a good Christmas. But you feel comfortable with your job. And that's the big difference about this recession that people are, are missing is that people feel confident about their job and they're not pulling back on the spending. They don't like it. They don't like inflation, but they're not pulling back. Yeah, and I, I had somebody comment on one of our posts about the savings rate. And mm-hmm. the savings rate has fallen tremendously. Right. And it, it actually is based off the chart he showed, and I, I believe it, it. it's below historical standards. It, it's quite right. low. But the saving rate looks at your monthly spending to your monthly income. If you look at the, the chart of the, uh, the savings rate in 2020, 20, it was like 30%. Yeah, it, it, you had all this buildup, and that's what we talk about with the M two and the liquidity in the economy. Is there's still so much there from all the savings that was created that now people are kind of spending through those savings. While yes, it's going on a credit card, they still have the savings to pay off those credit cards. It's going to become a problem now. However, if the savings rate still remains historically low at the end of next year, that's when I start to get a little bit worried. But right now, there's just too much liquidity to get us through this problem. Yeah, and the, the gentleman didn't understand the savings rate versus the M2. And I mean, the savings rate can go down, but you can still have a lot of money in the savings account is what you have. It's yeah. not the savings are going down, the rate is going down. And M2 does include a lot of different money. It's not just in 
people, but also businesses, which is important as well because if businesses start pulling back also. So so that's what he got confused saying the savings rate. He didn't understand what the M2 is. Well, that's again what we talk about with people is you fixate on one data point yep. that's so negative, but you have to look at the big picture. There's so many different data points that work together in the economy. And that's what you need to look at. You can't. There's always going to be one piece of news that is going to be extremely negative. I don't care how good the economy is. There's going to be one thing that's oh, going to yeah. be bad. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to find something bad. So, uh, phone numbers eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. We're going to take your calls just in a few minutes here. Eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. As promised, I saw this, and I uh, we just have to talk about it because the SEC also known as the Securities and Exchange Commission, had a busy fiscal year, which ended September 30th. The penalties were up 67% from the previous year, hitting an all-time record of $6.4 billion collected. And then, it's kind of we're joking about at the beginning here, but I, I do wonder where that money will go, or again, will it get lost in the tangled web of, of government administration there? The money is supposed to go to a fund that either protects investors, a fund that refunds investors who lost money, or the third option, the U.S. Treasury General Fund. And that <laughs> general fund just means it just goes to wherever they want it to and, go. And maybe controversial, but I'm going to say it is, I hope the FTX deal, I hope that they don't use penalties to pay people that lost, because I think those are two different situations. I don't think the SEC should be involved with FTX because it's not a regulated security. So I'm just speculating here, right. but I would not want to see money from that go into that particular case because it, it, it's, I don't think, right, it, it's, it's a different division of Regulations. Yeah, and, I, and I'm surprised to bring that up because I don't think they would because, like, you know, uh, Charles Schwab, broker dealers and so forth, mm -hmm. they do pay into, and I think we pay a small amount into the SEC as well. So we do we do have that. And the SIPC. SIPC as well. So there's the so they are collecting money for these reasons, but since cryptocurrencies had no regulation from the SEC, I would be, like you, very disappointed, very even upset. Like, what are you doing paying these people back because it wasn't regulated by the SEC why would you dip into that fund? Now, again, some on the political side might say, well, it goes to that general fund. We should help yeah. these people out. And it's not like people didn't know that cryptos were were risky. Yeah. We've talked about it. Uh, Jamie Dimon's talked about it. Everybody's talked about how risky it is. It's in the news, were. yeah. It was I mean, in the it's news. everywhere. Warren Buffett called it, and Charlie Munger called it rat poison. Rat poison. I, I mean, yeah. it's... And, you know, you wanted to speculate on it. You should have known that you could have lost everything. Right. And, and you should not be reimbursed if you're speculating. Now, yeah. if you were in something where, um, you know, and this is not going to happen. Let's say you're in Charles Schwab, and for some reason there's fraud there, and people lost money because that's different. Yeah. But this was just speculating not 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 fraud so i hope the sec just says i i've fraud. just kind of seen some people we, we did a post on it on our facebook people, saying people, that? people are saying oh the sec should get it and i'm like the sec no. is not part of crypto right and, and that's kind of the controversy right now and if the sec does become part of crypto maybe down the road if it happened again sure but right now that that's not the rules of the game <laughs> and i'm just thinking if it was part of crypto if it was if the sec regulated crypto Crypto wouldn't be around because they couldn't be around because they couldn't handle the, the, the regulations to do it properly. I mean, we've talked about this six months ago 
about how these audits have not been done on any of these companies. No. So it's just like it's all funny money, and now when you find something like this FTX, like, well, where's all the money? There never was any money. <laughs> well, it, it's so funny. You, you kind of look at the, the banks, and I saw that they're looking at that stress test and, and maybe even making it more stringent. Right. And it's like I can't imagine what the heck would happen to all these crypto exchanges if they had to go through the same type of procedures that are our big money center bank they wouldn't be in business there's no way they'd be able to no. handle those stress tests they, they couldn't handle that so uh speaking of, the, of all this information uh we do a newsletter it goes out every friday other things you'll see on the newsletter we talked about kavana gosh that price went i think from 300 down to like nine uh the gdp came out we talked about the gdp surprises there we did mention the jolts report that's also on the newsletter the national home price index we talked about general motors u.s debt all this information is on the newsletter, but you won't get it unless you sign up for the newsletter. So go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Sign up for the free newsletter. It goes out every Friday, just about five o'clock. So phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Wayne. Wayne, you're in the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Good morning, gentlemen. I have a question. I'm looking at a uh, um, pipeline transfer company, limited partnership. How do you value them? The one I'm looking at is MPLX is the symbol. Okay. Uh, and I'm having a hard time finding my my. Uh, there it is. Gosh, I know. Oh. I think I talked too much this morning. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our <laughs> screens went blank. Okay, and, and and Wayne, do you hold that or looking to buy it there? No, I'm looking at. I'm trying to compare it to uh, Kinder Morgan KMI. Okay, okay. So so let's take a look at uh, the company again. Is gosh, and even the computers are slow here. Uh, MPLX, same thing as the symbol MPLX. They are in the oil and gas mainstream, midstream here. Uh, not much on the float, 3.3%. That's good. Surprisingly, only 23% institutional ownership. They've got a nice PE ratio, 9 versus 19.9. Price of sales, 3.2 versus 1.1. Price of book value, 2.5 versus 2.3. And price of cash flow checks in at 7 versus 7.3. And a very good peg ratio, 2.6 versus 11.2. Now, the earnings are up 39% over the last year. Compare the industry down 20.9, so that's a big positive. However, sales are only up 18.5% when the industry is up 38.3. They do have a five-year growth rate of 3.7%, not as good as the industry growth rate uh, projected at 9.6. You get a nice dividend here, 9.2%. They only use, well, use 75% of the earnings to pay that out, but that's a pretty healthy healthy dividend. I like seeing that. And then we do see uh, current ratio is 0.8 versus 0.9. That's okay. Debt to equity, a little bit high, 1.5 versus 1.4. I, I would want to check the uh, cash flow on the company, see if that debt's increasing or decreasing. Because if it's increasing, I probably would say no to investing in the company. Uh, nice uh, net profit margin, 37 versus 6.3. And return to equity, very good, 28.1 versus 10.5. Jace? Yeah, and kind of looking at the company here, uh, the asset base for their pipeline assets actually dropped down from Marathon Petroleum. So I have seen this with other refiner companies in the past where they actually spin out this part and create this limited partnership. One thing that I've never understood, though, is 
if MPLX do they only service Marathon Petroleum? So their business could be tied essentially to that refiner. <clears throat> just something to keep an eye out on just to see if that could have a, a major impact on it because if Marathon Petroleum slows down, well, then MPLX would slow down as well. So they could have somewhat of a strong correlation in that stock price. But looking at the current price here for MPLX, it's $33.82. The 52 week high is $35.49 and the low $27.47. In the energy space, so not surprised to see this. It is up about 24.7% year-to-date. It hasn't done as well as the exploration and the refiners, but uh, it is, again, still on a positive note when most of the market is negative. Now, going forward for MPLX, I got to December 2023 and asked how we evaluate these limited partnerships. We're still going to look at the earnings. That's how we, we're going to justify our target sell price. Well, for 2023, again, December, it's $3.28. would give us a target sell price of $54.45. So the valuations look good on it. Brent kind of pointed out the debt level. And one thing that we always do have to point out again with the limited partnerships is the taxation is a little yes. bit different. Yeah. So you got to kind of break that down. <clears throat> yeah, because the taxation, uh, is this in a taxable account you're looking at, Wayne? Or, uh, or it would be in a retirement account, an IRA. Yeah, so then you don't worry about yeah. the taxation. But right. for those That's that, why I'm looking at it. Yeah, those that don't buy it in a, ta- in a tax-deferred account, right. Uh, right. the taxation can be prohibitive. Yeah. So, But uh, right. no, it looks pretty good. I, I'm just kind of worried about that debt. So that's the only thing I'd be watching there. Already? What ca- caught my eye is it's got a, like a 9 PE, and Kinder Morgan's got it over 16 so I was that's why I was looking for what factor you used to do your valuation. You are still using a sixteen percent a sixteen yeah. number. So yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, happy holidays, gentlemen. Thank you again. Okay, Wayne. Thank you. Have a good one. Can you have, when you have time, yeah. can you discuss why BlackRock is limiting the amount of money you can take out of the real estate REIT? Did you hear that last week? I did not hear that uh, last week, but uh my my assumption would be is this the real estate's obviously a liquid many times so if right. you take out too much of the cash well all they right. have left is real estate so then they'd have to sell real estate and they probably don't want to do that yeah could be they were a huge investor in FTX also yeah oh well so, yeah. could be an issue yeah could be an issue I would say so <laughs> thank you again gentlemen happy yeah. holidays okay Wayne you too thank you bye bye all right that does open up phone line eight three three two eight eight Zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. And Chase uh, Wayne brought up BlackRock, and I'm often wondering about that because they're the I believe they're the hugest investment company now in the country. Because I think they had like trillions of dollars or something, something out, outrageous. I believe. You know, I always confuse <clears throat> them and Blackstone. I think I'm thinking is Larry Fink BlackRock. Yeah, I think I think. Yep. Yeah, Larry yeah. Fink's BlackRock. BlackRock. Yeah, and that and they're the alternative. Right. Right, and they've just done so many things to become like, oh, this, and their stock price has gone up, and I just wonder if things will start coming through like this real estate, and I was not aware of it, but you're, you're right. People are like, oh, I want my money back. They can't get it back because they've gone through all the cash, and they can't sell that real estate. If they have to sell that off, that would be a problem because then they'll have to sell at lower prices, and that could be some some black eye, I'll, I'll say, for BlackRock. Well, I, I do. I, did I don't see. always like bigger. Yeah, no, I don't always like bigger either. And I, I did see as well, like the state of Florida, they use them as an investment <clears throat> manager, but they're too worried about their ESG goals yeah. and yeah. they're looking at pairing back. And, and the, it's kind of funny to say, but the state of Florida's investment in BlackRock is still pretty minuscule compared to their overall portfolio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But again, that starts to kind of compound and grow. That could become a problem for BlackRock as right. well. Yeah, and I, I think some of these, uh, you know, 
companies and so forth are kind of waking up that they don't want to be on the woke side. Yeah. Just do your job, manage the money, let us decide what we want to do politically. And same thing for people. If you want to be on that side, do it. But don't have a, a black record or somebody else force you into this. And I think Disney's kind of paid a little price on that as well. And it is funny. I, I saw there's a congressman that was talking about BlackRock, and he's like, look, we, we pay you to, to manage the money, yeah. basically. If you want to get into politics, by all means, get into politics. Right. But that's not what we're paying you for, to be in politics. Yeah, exactly. So, it is interesting. Yep. All right. Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Inglewood and speak with Dorian. Dorian, you're in the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Good morning, Brent and Chase. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about U-Haul, the truck rental company. I drive by the lot every day, and I notice it's always empty on weekends, and they kind of have the trucks all come back during the week. And I bought some of this about five years ago because I wanted to own some of those orange trucks. I doubled my money, and I looked. So I said, well, maybe I'm going to get some more. I looked at the uh, PE. It's 12. The company's been around for 70 years. They don't pay a dividend. And, um, you know, it looks pretty safe because who else competes with them? People, when they want to rent something, they rent a U-Haul truck. I yeah. was wondering, what do you think about buying some more? Yeah. U-H-A-L. And I think you're right because they do have kind of a, a hold on the market. I, when I try to think who else you would rent a truck from for hauling, I can't think of anybody else. A U-Haul is well, where you go Well, there's Penske, but they don't rent little Penske. trucks, and there's right. other ones. But, and there's like Ryder, I think, as well. Ryder. But I, I, I don't – I think Wendy. they are more – Riders more towards like I think the bigger companies and they're yeah. like bigger trucks. I don't yeah. think you would use a U Haul's done a great job of making it for the individual consumer. Yeah. So let's look at the numbers here because you could be honest on Dorian. Uh, company again is a U Haul. Uh, symbol is U H A L, just as it <laughs> sounds there. Uh, only 0.5% on the short side, so no one thinks it's going down, but small on the institutional side. Only 37%. We do see a PE ratio looking pretty good at 12.4 versus 18.4. Price of sales 2.2 versus 1.5, which is surprisingly high compared to the industry. So disappointed there. But uh, price to book value looks good 2.1 versus 37.4. Price of cash flow checks in also on the high side 8.1 versus 4.9. And pay ratio only 0.9 versus 4. So that's a good pay ratio there. Now, the earnings over the last year are up 4.2% versus the industry at 63.3. And they're the industry of rental and leasing services. So kind of a more general industry. So maybe that's not why they're not doing quite as good. We do see sales are up 10% over the past year. Industry up 16.4. They do have a five-year earnings growth rate of 15%, which beats the industry at 127 they don't pay a dividend. I'm surprised on that. I, I would assume a company like this would pay a dividend, but they do not. We do send the balance sheet. Uh, current ratio 1.5 versus 1.7. Debt to equity is one, far better than the industry at three. And then uh, net profit margin 17.9 versus 10. Return on equity 16.7 versus 6.1. And return investor capital also 9.8 versus 8.1. So I kind of like what I'm seeing here so far. Chase, what do you got going forward? Yeah, so current price here for U-Haul. Uh, company goes by Amarco as well, I, I believe, is actually the official name of the company, it appears. But the current price, $66.84. 52-week high, $73.16. And a low, $44.79. Uh, I see year-to-date down about 7.8%. And, and one thing I was thinking about while talking through this is, there was kind of a big boom of moving, people kind of moving right. around after COVID. Uh, that's something I would want to kind of analyze a little closer. Is that going to continue? 
And we kind of talked about as well with the real estate slowing down. If real estate slows down, that could impact you all because people might not be moving around as much. True. So something to consider there in terms of what's going to happen with this business going forward. I do see the market cap for this company, though, is about $13 billion. And I'm a little surprised by that because it's obviously a good-sized company. Mm -hmm. But when I look at the analysts for the earnings per share, there's only one analyst. And it only goes out to March 2023. Wow. So that's all I can see here. But that's already, most of the time we would like to look at March 2024 to go out about a year and a half. But for March 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share is $5.61. It would give us a target sell price of $93.13, so that still looks attractive. But this is kind of what I was talking about. Is year over year, it looks like the earnings are expected to decline by about 2%, and we don't have any numbers for 2024. And again, it's just one analyst. So right. how positive... Is he going to be or negative is he going to be or she going to be? So that's something to really consider. I like, again, at least probably five analysts. And, and Dorn, i got to ask you, how much percentage-wise does this make up in your portfolio? Not much. Not much, yeah. I, I, you know, I was excited about the company, and then I saw one analyst. There, there's something going on there. Why only one analyst for a $13 billion company? Um, maybe it's just too boring. And also, too, Chase brought up the good point, too, is that, you know, with real estate not doing what it did in the past – perhaps the U-Haul rental will, will come down. So I'm, I've got to kind of, even though the numbers look good on it, uh, some of the numbers, I, I'm going to say no. I, I don't think I'd want to buy this right now. I, I think I would yeah, look it somewhere is, else. You know, it's not going to crash, right? It's no, I don't see it crashing. Yeah, it but, may, may not go up. Right. right. Yeah. Um, one experience I had yesterday, I bought two new tires for $499. I bought the same two tires at the same place 18 months ago, and they were 386 so that's a 29% increase. So we have we have an inflation problem. Well, and again, I think that, you know, tires are made from petroleum, which is rubber. Yeah. So that could be turning back down. So I, if you have tires in your car, and I'm known for having my tires go to almost bald. So I wait <laughs> and put tires in my car. Uh, so if you are looking to have tires, you did already. But somebody else, I'd say, ah, wait a little bit, because I think you will see those come down. So. All right, Dorian. But I'm worried about the, in- the inflation is bad. It's bad out here. Yeah. Uh, we, we know that. We, certain areas, it's it's bad. Certain areas, it's not bad. And and, and again, I mean, it's just, and, and 40% of the inflation rate does so come the CPI. from. The CPI comes from housing. So there are things you can find that, like tires, are up dramatically. There's other things you'll find like, oh, that wasn't so bad. So, but. Yeah. All right, Dwayne, thanks for calling. We'll talk with you soon. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. All right, that is open to the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 288-0973. Oh, and I just realized it's time to talk about financial planning with our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Hey, guys, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. I saw the topic today, and, you, you know, I'm – going to a lot of charity events and so forth. This is the time for charity. And you're talking about change for charitable donations this year. What's the change about? So in the last two years, there was a provision in the tax code where even if you were claiming the standard deduction, you could still get some tax benefit from making some charitable distributions. Um, It was $300 per person or $600 for a married couple. Um, that if you made a donation up to that amount, a cash donation, that you would get that tax deduction in addition to the standard deduction. So you didn't have to itemize to get it. Um, But 2021 was the last year that that is going to be available. 
Um, when they were first <clears throat> initiating that, there was some talk that it was going to, you know, last indefinitely. But um, this year for tax year 2022, that's no longer going to be available. So what that means is if you're thinking about um, donating to charity, you might have to do it a little bit differently. So if you want to get a tax benefit for any charitable deductions, you either, number one, have to itemize, but, you know, you either do or you don't. If you don't have enough itemized deductions to get above the standard deduction, you're, you're not going to do it. And basically, um, in order to itemize, you need a pretty large mortgage, and you need that mortgage interest deduction in order to get over the hump of the standard deduction. So that's just not realistic for a lot of people. So another thing that you can look at doing is gifting stock. And when you gift stock, you can deduct the fair market value of whatever the stock is, and that's an itemized deduction, which again, if you're claiming the standard doesn't help you. But if you have appreciated stock and you gift that, then you don't have to pay taxes on that realized gain. Um, so that that is some tax benefit, even if you are just claiming the standard deduction. Um, another thing you can do is look at making qualified charitable distributions. So if you are 70 and a half or older, um, you can send to charity uh, donations directly from your IRA account. And in that case, the distribution from the IRA is not included in your income. So it's essentially not taxable. And that really comes in handy when you're old, older than age 72 and you have to take your required distributions from your IRAs. So if you're looking at a way to mitigate that, you can use some of that to um, give to charity through the qualified charitable distributions and essentially gives you a deduction. Um, and then lastly, even if you claim the standard deduction on the federal side, you can still itemize on the state side and get a tax benefit if you're making charitable donations there. And in California, the standard deduction is much lower than it is on the federal side, so it's much easier to itemize. Um, it's about $5,000 a person or $10,000 for a married couple or so. So even if you are claiming the standard federally, you can still itemize on the state side and get deductions um, there. So. Again, there's a little bit changes that we have this year, so you might want to be careful how you're um, giving to charity this year. Yeah, I mean, it's always such a great benefit, obviously, to give to charity, but uh, sometimes it is nice because <laughs> right. you can give more to charity if you get a tax deduction, perhaps. So it, it is a good way to kind of consider these different options because it, you know, it helps you and it helps the charity if you're able to give a little bit more money as well. Yep. So it, is, it, always, it always does feel nice to kind of give to charity, but again, it is kind of nice to have that tax deduction. Well, well. Too, the big thing is, again, if you can write off some of it, right. rather than giving, let's say, $2,000, you might give $2,500 because your net cash flow is still the same. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, we will see you on Monday morning. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Yeah. I was going to say, not on the charity topic, but on the BlackRock topic, I did find at the beginning of this year, they had $10 trillion in assets under management. $10 trillion. Yeah, I, I knew it. I, 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 a trillion was not as big enough, but 10, and I think they're the largest at $10 trillion. It could so, be, yeah. I mean, that's so, a lot of money. Yeah. Phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Encinitas and speak with Paul. Paul, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Oh, hi, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I'm normally a tech investor, but, you know, tech's really going nowhere these days. Got money on the sidelines. I'm looking at MMP. It looks like it has a healthy dividend, a low PE. Uh, what can you tell me about uh, 
It's Magellan Midstream Partners. Okay. Well, let's take a look at that. Uh, and do you hold that? Are you, it sounds like you're looking at buying something else, is what you're kind of saying here. Is that correct? Yeah, just uh, looking. I want to put some of my money to uh, to work. You know, mm -hmm. just sitting on the sidelines and with uh, inflation, it's it's actually losing money, you know. Right. And, and one thing I will say, I mean, on portfolios is that you never want to be too excited to invest the cash quickly. I mean, sometimes you want to look for opportunities. I mean, right now for new money coming in, we're, we're sitting on a fair amount of cash because mm -hmm. we're being patient. So don't don't get too impatient, but also it's always good to look, but but don't say, I kind of put it to work. And, and you use that thing that people say like, oh, but I, I'm falling behind with inflation. Well, if you buy something and it goes down 10%, you're even further behind. So, <laughs> so always be patient. That's our thing is, is be patient. But let's take a look here for you. The uh, Magellan okay. Midstream MMP is a symbol. They're in the oil and gas midstream. Only 4.2% uh, short on, on the, uh, the the stock here. Institutional ownership, 52%. Uh, pretty good start in the P ratio, 12.3 versus 19.9. Price of sales, 3.5. That's expensive compared to the industry at 1.1. Price to book value, 6.5 versus 55.7. And price to cash flow, 10 versus 7.3. And, and the pay ratio, very good, 1.9 versus 11.2. Now, their earnings per share over the last year were up 5.2%. Compares to the industry, down 21%. And sales for MMP were up 21.7. Not quite as good as the industry growth at 38.3. We do see a five-year estimated growth rate of 5.5%. Not quite quite as good as the industry growth projected at 9.6. You do get an 8% dividend. They use 80.3% of their earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet. Current ratio one versus 0.9, that's good. Not thrilled on the debt to equity, 2.9, more than double the industry at 1.4. So I'm not sure why they have so much debt in the balance sheet. I would be kind of worried about that. We do see a net profit margin, 34.7 versus 6.3. Return on equity, 60.5 versus 10.5 it kind of tells you maybe they have very low equity maybe that's why they have such a high debt to equity and then we turn on capital looks good 19 versus 26.9 chase what do you got yeah so current price here for magellan midstream again mmp 52 dollars 48 cents i see 52 week high here 54 dollars and 40 cents the low 43 dollars and 58 cents and, and like the the first company we looked at i think it was mplx this is again another um master limited partnership so again you got to really be careful and are, are you looking at a, a taxable account here or a uh, retirement account here paul yeah, prob probably retirement account to avoid, you know, more taxes, you know. Okay. Yep. Just wanted to make sure on that because that could always, you know, throw off the investment returns if it messes up the taxation there. But uh, looking at the valuations going forward for MMP, I see in December 2023, the estimated earnings per share, it's $4.84, would give us a target sell price of $80.34, traded at a 4 PE of about 10.8. So, I mean, the valuations on it look pr pretty good. It's just, again, that, that debt level was a little concerning. And I do say actually those earnings, you don't see this much now, but the earnings from 90 days ago were up from 469. So actually increasing as opposed to most companies look at, yeah, 90, 90 days ago they were higher. And, and also too, Paul, I got to ask you, uh, percentage wise, how much do you have in energy in your portfolio? Yeah, it's going to be less than 10%, I think, right now. Okay. Well, I mean, if, I, if it's 9.9, .9, I'd say you're pretty well set on the energy side. So I, I don't know if I'd add more or not. Okay. All okay. right. So, um, all right. Well, Paul, thank you for calling. Uh, and you have a good one. You too. Have a good day. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973.
That's 833-288-0973. And, you know, it's interesting. Anytime somebody calls in about the pipelines, one thing I always talk about is we never like the pipelines because I don't like that they're limited partnerships. Right. It's just too complicated with the taxes and so forth. So it, I'd rather avoid the, the complication there. But one thing that I've always encouraged people to do if you're looking at buying the pipeline is understand how they make money. Yeah. Like, do they, because obviously with the price of oil, the price of gas, the, the refiners are making their sales based off the price of the refined <laughs> products and the exploration companies are making money off the price of oil, but they're not selling the commodity, they're transporting the commodity. So how do they charge to store or to transport? Is it, you know, just a flat fee? Is it based off of how much they're transporting? Because it could be more beneficial if your prices are lower, perhaps, and you're transporting a lot more, right. maybe they make more money. It's just something that I've never looked at or understood, but I encourage people to understand how they make money and what's going to be a beneficial time for them for their business. Yeah. And that's one thing that, and again, they talk about the master limit of partnerships, because that's primarily what they do is the pipelines is really understand. It's like, yeah, you get that 9% dividend. It's pretty exciting, but how are they making the money? What, what could cause that to go the wrong direction. What if they close a pipeline? What if they open more pipelines? You know, how does that affect that investment? That's what we always talk about is really understanding the investment because we can run over the numbers here for you, try to point in the right direction, but there's so much more into it. And that's why in our portfolio, I would say, I think 2020 was probably our busiest year. I think we maybe did what, I'm gonna say maybe 10 buys that year. Yeah, that was a lot. Uh, normally, like, like this year, I mean, this year's almost over. Did we do four or five this year maybe? I don't even think it was that many. Yeah. I think we had, it might have been honestly only two, three. Two, two or three, yeah. And it, and it, we look at a lot. I yeah. mean, we look at them here. If we find something here, we, we like it. But it's not about the quantity of the trades. It's about the quality of the trades. Or And I'm not even going to say use the word trade. I would say the investment, the quantity of the investment that you do. Because that's what investing is really about. And we're, we're just about through this year. I can't believe we're here in December. <clears throat> it's not been an easy year. We've seen some people that, oh my gosh, your portfolios are, are down. Can't tell you what, what we have done this year because of the SEC rules. But I've slept very well at night. I'll put yeah. it that way. So Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, there's nothing I'm worried about uh, in the portfolio. And, and one thing I was going to say, too, is uh, I, I don't like to complicate things when, when we invest. And, you know, there was a, a situation we had at our firm where there was a position that was sold in a Roth for one of our clients, and it wasn't something that we bought. But somehow, and again, we're not accountants, so I don't know the taxation of everything, and especially in products that, that we don't buy typically, but somehow within the Roth, that position was taxable to the client. Yeah. And I had never seen this before. And again, because we don't complicate things, we keep right. things pretty simple. <laughs> but that's one thing I'll, I'll tell people is, again, with these master limited partnerships, I think it's fine in a retirement account. But I, I would just want to confirm because that, that could be really detrimental. You get a product, you're like, oh, great, I sold it. And all of a sudden you get a tap. But it's my Roth. Right. So be very careful. And I, I again, I think it's okay with the MLPs, but I'm not a tax person. I'm not 100% sure on that. Make sure before you buy any investment that's not your typical stock, typical company there, that you're not going to get burned on the tax side of the equation down the road. Right. And, and I was going to talk to uh, or talk about Carvana because I yep. mentioned that early in the show. We do have a caller coming in, uh, Val, so I'm going to go to him in a minute. But I, I did, I had pulled up Carvana, just kind of look at it, and I, I was wrong. They've not been over $300 a share. Their highs two seventy four. They closed on Friday at eight oh seven. So uh, they're down ninety six point five percent year to date. And this was something interesting as well. The short 
uh, is 66%. So Ooh. yeah, I mean, that this company's not gonna come out of that. So yeah. uh, somebody owns it or, and I'm gonna say, hopefully don't call in wanting to buy it. Yeah, and it, it could be one of those Reddit trades, but I, I think the days of the meme stocks have definitely slowed down because that's generally what they target is trying to get the short squeeze. But right. I mean, I wouldn't want to get stuck with a company that's got those debt levels and you're going to have to liquidate all those cars to, to try and their cash flow is terrible. So it, it, it'd be not a situation that you'd want to be stuck in a short squeeze type situation. All of a sudden the company goes bankrupt. And, and you talk about those meme stocks, I guess that didn't work out too good, did it? Did for some people, some people, some, few but people. for the most, it did, did not. For most, and that's the thing. Some people always get something. Somebody wins a lottery, yeah. but most people don't. I never have. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, let's go out to uh, San Diego and speak with Val. Val, you and the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, I am trying to figure out why <laughs> FFL, which pays nearly a ten percent dividend, is such a price laggard, and it's. Uh, transportation group. They're they're international shipping company, and uh, I, I'd like to see a comparison of of uh, SFL with say HDT Holdings. Well, and, and what we can do, and one thing comes to my mind. We talked earlier in the show about diesel. When I see marine shipping, I'm thinking they use a lot of diesel for their ships. So that's probably one reason why they're being held down. But I do want to go over the numbers because just a quick glance of the numbers do not look that bad. So I see why you're kind of baffled why this is not moving. So let, let's take a look at a little bit closer. SFL, that's the SFL Corporation. Uh, not much on the float side, on the on the short side, 2.4%, only 35% institutional owned. Uh, we do see a good P-E ratio of 5.8, but the industry is at 1.8, which is a very strange number. Price to sales, 2.3, that's above the industry at 0.7. Price to book value, 1.3, the industry is at 0.3. So some strange things going on with this industry here. Price of cash flow for the company, 4.3, the industry at 1.5. So I'm gonna continue on here, but one thing I'm thinking is that perhaps SFL is higher valued. There's better deals in the industry, so that could be part of the problem. Let me continue on here. I, I see no earnings per share growth over the last year. The industry was up 74.6%. Uh, the sales for SFL were up 31.2%, uh, slightly better in the industry at 29.2. We do see that 9.2% uh, dividend. They use 44% their earnings to pay that out, but the industry pays an average of 18.5% with a payout ratio of 24%. So again, great numbers for the company, but the industry just appears to be far better. Looking at, uh, oh, this is dangerous. Current ratio 0.3 versus 1.9. This could be a problem because if the company doesn't have the liquidity, they could have to file for bankruptcy very quickly, and they have a debt to equity of 2.3 versus 0.6. I very rarely see a current ratio solo 0.3. That's a liquidity problem this company's having. Net profit margin, 37.5 versus 37.6. Return on equity, 21.9 versus 54. So I'm really concerned that liquidity chase do you see uh, on the numbers going forward. Just real quick too, especially on the dividend. That that could easily be a reason to cut the dividend. If all of a sudden things slow oh, yeah. down, they can't afford that dividend anymore. It, that could be one reason the stock's being weighed down. People are like, oh, I, I don't believe that dividend's stable. One other thing too that I know with a, another shipping company, I forget the name of it, um, but they changed their dividend formula to a percentage of profits essentially. So it wasn't a constant dividend. I would want to make sure 
how this company actually pays out that dividend. This looks to be in the oil and gas, transportation for marine shipping. I believe the other company was just a, a large marine shipping company. But that is something. And either way, honestly, I'm kind of worried about the dividend anyway. Right. Because that, that current <laughs> ratio is so bad. But uh, looking at the current price here for SFL, it's $9.99. 50-week highs is $11.60. And the low is $7.64. Even though, as you said, it has kind of lagged the some of its peers, I see year-to-date it's up about 30.6%. So it's still been positive. And this is strange too. I'd have to look closer at the industry because I do see the industry as a whole is actually down 19.2% uh, based off of the, the industry that w- we look at here. Uh, looking at the market cap though, it is a, a pretty small company at $1.3 billion. They still have four analysts that follow it, however. And I go out to December 2023, I see the estimate for earnings per share is $1.30. That would give us a target sell price of $21.58. So, I mean, again, the valuations look very, very good on it. But gosh, that, that balance sheet could be one reason that, that people could be concerned about it and that could be impacting its stock price. Hey, and I was over and Val's gone, so he was on a cell phone and we lost him or we didn't like what we were saying. But I, I did also look at the, the uh, balance sheet. Uh, their cash and short-term investments now, $204 million, was $300 million back in September 20th. So it looks like their cash is drying up. <clears throat> and you're right, what could happen is they could say, gosh, we, we got to cut that dividend. We don't have liquidity to pay our, our, our debt payments. They got $963 million in short-term debt, long-term debt, $1.5 billion. Uh, this company could have problems down the road. I, I, I would, I think Val said he had owned it. I, I would have to sell and get out of this one. I, I, I'd be very scared. Yeah, and I mean, I, I kind of <clears throat> see what he's. Uh, there's, I pulled up a couple peers of uh, theirs, and it's like TNK that year to date's up like 221 percent. DHT's up 100 percent. While this was up 30.6 percent. I see one of their other peers is GEL that's up 1.94 percent. So there's definitely it appears to be a, a discrepancy, obviously, in the industry. But you can find that any anywhere, anyways. If you look at I'm just going to pull out the chip companies. Yep. I mean, you look at like NVIDIA, Intel, they don't all move the same. There's going to be different factors that impact each business. So, I mean, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to do a deep dive into each one of these companies and try and figure out why this one has lagged, let's say, a TNK and a DHT. Yeah, and, and that's why, again, it comes back to, and, and, and Val was liking the dividend. Why is this not going up was his question. And I think we found some good reasons why it's not going up. Uh, liquidity is a big problem. And, and I I almost want to say I've never seen a current ratio 0. 0.3. I'm sure I have, but I can't remember the last time I saw a current ratio so low. It's just, I mean, that worries me a lot. I mean, and, and it's not the company that files a bankruptcy. It's your creditors. The creditors will force into bankruptcy. And they've got a lot of creditors. I said, what, $900 million in short term, $1.5 billion, I think it was, in long-term debt. you got probably not one creditor, probably multiple if they say, you know what, we're feeling uncomfortable, you're paying out that crazy high dividend, we're going to force into bankruptcy. Yeah. I, the only thing I could say that, that could be hope is I have seen in the past where cash <clears throat> outside the U.S. is held in long-term investments, so it's not really available. If that's the case, you could maybe pay off debt outside of the United States with True. that cash. But that, again, comes down to understanding the balance sheet. That's a big problem to have a current ratio of 0.3. you got to be able to explain why the right. current ratio is there. <laughs> and is it going to be okay to make it out of that? Because that, that could be, again, very detrimental, especially with such a high dividend yield. That That's all of a sudden that business slows down. They don't have the cash flow anymore to pay that dividend. They still have to pay their debt. They can't pay their debt that's when they go bankrupt. You know, it's funny. And I think a lot of investors miss looking at the balance sheet. 
And, and that's why we're so confident we do so. Look at the balance sheet. And unfortunately, there's a closing bell, so I can't expand on that. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. Let's discuss in more detail your investment needs. Have other investment questions? Feel free to call myself, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at 858 546 4306. That's 858 546 4306. And visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week right here to talk about investments on the Smart Investing Show. To think that I did all that And may I say